Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Um, we are excited this morning to have Mark Walters, who is one of our head elders. Er, he is our head elder. He's one of our elders. Um, come and teach. But before he does, I want to invite you to pray with me, please. Our Father and our King, we are grateful to be your children. We're grateful to be gathered here. We're grateful, God, for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And even as we gather this morning, God, whether we are here or whether we are gathered somewhere digitally, um, we thank you, God, for the opportunity we have um, to sing to you and to proclaim your goodness and your grace in our life. And uh, God, I pray for a couple of special people th- this morning just walking through difficult times. I-, I pray for Mitch and Sharon Vanderhulse as they continue to, to um, work through the various things with Mitch's health. And God, I pray that your grace would be with them today. I pray that they would know that they are loved dearly by you. And God, that they would um, experience the peace of God um, in their life. We also pray, Lord, for Eloise Stout. And we pray, God, that you would walk with her and the many others who are not able to be here this morning in person with us due to health and and other related issues. Um, Lord, we also pray for our mission partners in the Philippines. Um, While life has not looked uh, normal for any of us, it certainly has also affected them. And I pray for them. I pray for their health. I pray, God, that as uh, some of them are, are battling some health issues even this week, God, that you would give them strength and that you would walk with them in these days and that you would advance your kingdom through their work in the Philippines. Thank you, God, for their faithful work on your behalf to share Christ crucified and raised to life with their communities there in that region. And God, I also pray for our mission partners in North Africa, and I pray for their kids especially this morning. Uh, it can be challenging to be in a different culture and, and to grow up that way. And God, I pray that they would um, find great joy and great purpose in being uh, a light for Christ in a context and in a world um, that is dominated by other, other priorities. Um, God, I pray that, that Christ's life would live out powerfully through them and that they would know you deeply and intimately. God, that you would protect them from any attack of the evil one that you would lead and guide them in righteousness for your name's sake. Now, fathers, we turn to your word. Teach us what it means to follow you with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everyone together says, amen. And bothered me it wasn't in the center. Well, good morning. It's always exciting when I have an opportunity to speak with you, uh, to share God's Word. Um, before we, as we get started this morning, uh, you'll notice in your bulletin that there is a student ministry mission trip coming up, and there's more information to follow. Well, I am that more information this morning. Uh, so um, how many of you have been on a mission trip before? All right, good number, good number. Mission trips are exciting, whether you go across... The, the country or around the world, or uh, this one is to Montana. Mission trips are always exciting. They're a blessing. 
Um, but I have a little bit of an update for you here this morning. Uh, and let me read this letter that I have. Uh, thanks to those who have expressed interest in the Montana mission trip. This year's projects are not for the faint or the weak, but will be hard physical labor. We'll be working 10 and 12 hour days and longer if the day project is not yet complete. Due to overbooking the facility, you'll be sleeping outside. We do have some tents, or you may bring your own. Showers will be available at the end of the week. You will not need to pack much as temperatures will be in the hundreds this time of year. Hydration is somewhat of a concern, but they hope to have the water well up and running by the time we get there. Meals will be provided and served when possible between projects. And due to the increase of rattlesnakes and the dangerous nature of our work, we suggest that everyone say a final goodbye to family before you leave. And we regret to say that everyone may not return. So thank you for considering serving in Montana this summer. For more information, contact Pastor Tom or Pastor Cameron. I'd like us to read this morning from Luke chapter 9. I'll give you just a minute to get there. Luke chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 23 and 24, and then we're going to move on with some other verses. Our passage this morning will be from Luke 14. But Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 23, says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must put aside your selfish ambition, shoulder your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to keep your life for yourself, you will lose it. But if you give it up, your life for me, you will find true life. And then chapter 9, verse 57 And as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I'll follow you no matter where you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests. But I, the son of man, have no home of my own, not even a place to lay my head. And he said to another person, come and be my disciple. And the man agreed, but he said, first, let me return home and bury my father. And then verse 61, and another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but first let me go home and say goodbye to my family. And then if we could go over to chapter 14, which will be our passage for today. So Luke chapter 14, verse 25, and great crowds were following Jesus, and he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my follower... You must hate your own mother and father, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, more than your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry your own cross and follow me. And verse 33, no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. And then if we could go back to verse 28, but don't begin until you count the cost. So I read this uh, from the information from Montana for you, and uh, some of you that were actually interested before I read that were thinking, yeah, let's go to Montana. And then I throw out this letter that says, yeah, there's not a place to sleep. And you go, oh. Um, and some of you might not come back 
Well, now we really want to consider, well, who would say something like that, okay? I mean, why, why would I say that? But here is Jesus, and he has crowds of people following him, and they're all thinking, hey, I'd like to follow this guy and be one of his disciples. And then Jesus basically reads the letter for Montana that I just read to you. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be very difficult. And so if you think, where did he get an idea like that to read this letter? I have to tell you this morning, I got it from Jesus, all right? This, this is what Scripture says. So we're going to look this morning. Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Great crowds were following Jesus. How big of crowds do you imagine? 10, 20, 50? If you go to Luke chapter 12, verse 1, it says that the crowds were, that were following him were innumerable. Now, when he fed the 5,000, they managed to count those. Uh, John MacArthur, in his commentary, said it was probably tens of thousands of people. And then here's something we really understand. Uh, the King James Version said they trod upon one another. In other words, it was a stampede, and it was so crowded, some people were getting crushed in the crowd, there were so many people in chapter 12. Now, Jesus in chapter 11 says, or chapter 13 says, he moved from town to town teaching. And I don't know that all of the crowd followed him, but when we get to chapter 14, he still has a great crowd of people following him. So, why do so many people follow Jesus? Probably the obvious answer would be the miracles. And as we read through the Gospel of Luke, and we see the miracles. He's already cast out demons. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law. He's healed leprosy. He's healed the paralytic man. He's healed someone with the withered hand. He healed a centurion's servant. And you know what was amazing about that was? Jesus wasn't even with the servant when he was healed. Remember, the centurion came and he said to Jesus, I understand authority. And if you just speak, I know that you have authority. And my servant will be healed and Jesus healed his servant. And can you imagine the crowd as they saw this and heard this and thought, who is this man? Um, then Jesus does in, in Luke also feed the 5,000. And there's some other miracles listed, but this crowd is excited and they're following Jesus because he's doing miracles. And it's like, if he feeds 5,000, let's follow him and he can just keep feeding us all the time. And, and man, what can top healing a guy that's paralyzed or raising someone from the dead or just speaking. And so this huge crowd is following Jesus. I'd like to give you one other thought as to why people were following Jesus. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus challenges the Pharisees. Now, I don't think very many people challenge the Pharisees the religious leaders of the day, the experts in religious law, but Jesus does. And at the end of chapter 11, he actually says to the Pharisees and the religious leaders, you should be teaching people, and yet you're blind. You should be bringing them into the kingdom, and yet you're keeping them out of the kingdom. And these Pharisees, these religious leaders, are enraged with Jesus and they're trying to trip him up with questions. And they've got this hatred toward Jesus. And I think some of the people might have been looking going, wow, what is going on here? This, i, I got to see what plays out here. i got to see what happens. 
But nonetheless, we're in Luke 14, and this crowd is following Jesus. And a lot of them are thinking, I'm going to stick with this guy. This is somebody worth hanging on to. I'm going to follow along. And then Jesus says something that really throws him back. Luke 14, 25. Great crowds were following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my follower, you must hate your own father, your mother, your wife, your children, your sisters, yes, even more than your life. Why would Jesus tell them to hate their mother and father? Well, I want to tell you this morning, it's not in the way that we think of the word hate. It's really like expressing a preference or um, a greater love for. So Jesus didn't tell them to hate them. And I want to tell you in the way that we think, because in Exodus 20, children are told to honor their parents. In Ephesians 5, husbands are told to love their wives. Titus tells wives to love their husbands. Titus 2 tells parents to love their children. So it's a matter of expressing it. In Malachi, God says, I have loved Jacob and I hated Esau. Did God really hate Esau? No, but in contrast, he loved Jacob so much that his promise would come through Jacob. So compared to Esau, Jacob was greatly loved. Uh, How about Jacob? He worked seven years to marry Rachel. Yeah, and Rachel's dad slips Leah in in front of her. And he works another seven years. And then finally he gets to marry Rachel. And in Genesis it tells us that he loved Rachel, but he hated Leah. He didn't hate Leah. The contrast was so great. Are you getting it? So here, let let me help you. Here's here's contrast. You know those bags of um, powdered sugar donuts, the hostess ones? I love those things. All right, get those in a cup of coffee. It's like one more, one more, okay? But I got to tell you, Gwen makes something called a caramel bubble ring. Sticky buns, all right? I have a recipe here. So you take this Pillsbury bread sticks, um, the tubes, you get the bread sticks, you pop that baby open, you cut them in little pieces, you dip that bread in some butter, and then you roll it in cinnamon and sugar, and you put that in a bunt pan, and then you put, here, get this, caramel ice cream topping in there, and syrup in there, and we have sugar in there, and you take this, it's so good for you, you take, <laughs> let me check the ingredients, oh yeah, sugar, 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 uh, pecans if you want to do something healthy, all right, you put this in a bunt cake pan, you bake it. This comes out the gooeyest, the most incredible. I would trade those donuts for that caramel bubble ring any day of the week. In fact, that caramel bubble ring, I thought about it. I'm almost unrestrained, uncontrolled. Kind of like pig status. You know, I enjoy pie. I enjoy cake. I can't think of anything else where I have so little restraint as this caramel bubble ring. Compared to those donuts, I hate donuts. I love this caramel bubble ring. And Jesus says to the people that are following them, compared to everything else, 
all of your family, your brothers, your sister, your mother, you need to love me so much more. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Everything in you that's capable of love needs to be directed towards Jesus. We need to love him. And why would Jesus say love? So I'm thinking about love. So I go to 1 Corinthians 13 that describes love. And amongst all of the things, I'd like to tell you just the things about love from verse 7. All right? 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Here's what Jesus is looking for. If you want to follow me, in fact, he said, you can't be my disciple if you don't love me. Let me describe love to you from 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful. Love endures through every circumstance. That is what Jesus is looking for when he says, I'm looking for disciples. I'm looking for people who follow me. I'm looking for people who love me more than their mother, their father, their brother, their sister. I'm looking for people who never give up, never lose faith, always are hopeful and endure for every, through everything. Jesus wasn't just looking for starters. He's looking for finishers, for people who would love him and follow him all the way. He says, you cannot be my disciple unless you hate them, and in reality, unless you love me so much. The next verse, verse 27, tells us another thing. He says, you cannot be my disciple if you do not carry my own cross and follow me. Now here's Jesus. He's got a great big crowd. and He's got an opportunity to get hundreds and hundreds of disciples to follow him. And he brings up the cross. And these people know what a Roman cross is. It's, it's a signal of suffering and shame and humiliation. And people would mock you as you hung there. And it was aloneness. And Jesus said, if you don't follow me and carry your cross, if you're not willing to die for me, you cannot be my disciple. And it's interesting to me that as his, it doesn't tell us for sure that all 12 of his disciples were there. But if his 12 disciples were actually there and would have heard this, you know what happened to all 12 of the disciples? John is the only one they believe died of old age. And some of the writings, not scripture, doesn't tell us this, um, but there's other ancient writings would tell us that John was probably at one point dipped in a vat of boiling oil. Um, so John was the only one that died of old age. Peter was crucified upside down because he was humble and said, I cannot die even the way my Savior died. Andrew, um, and again, these are some writings of, of these times. Andrew, it is said, was buried on a cross in an X form like this, and that he was tied to the cross, and the writings say that he hung there for three days before he died, and all of that while he was preaching the gospel. It tells us in Acts chapter 12 that James was killed by a sword. And again, not to be confused with Scripture, but ancient writings would tell us that the guard who brought James to the court was so moved when he saw him testify that he confessed that he too was a Christian and they were both taken away and beheaded. All of the others 
according to writings, were either beaten, crucified, skinned alive, drowned, burned, stoned, speared, or beheaded. All of Jesus' disciples, except for John, died for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says to this large crowd, if you're not willing to carry your cross, you're not able to be my disciple. Looking again this week, and it it just breaks my heart. Do we realize how many people suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ? There's a group called World Watch, and they have a list out. Looking that up, they say eight people are killed. Eight Christians are killed every day. 23 women are, are raped or sexually harassed every day. 182 churches are burned every week. 102 homes, houses, or businesses are burned every week. And 309 people, Christians, are imprisoned unjustly every month. People suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We support missionaries who have to be careful in their presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you and I might not be under threat of dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me ask you this. If you're not going to die for Christ, would you be willing to live for Christ? Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And I may not be called to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I could live the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a way that people would see Jesus living in me. In Philippians 1, Paul says to always be bold for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Timothy 2, 3, he says we're to endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You cannot be his disciple unless you're willing to take up your cross and follow him. Would you live for him? Luke 14, verse 33. And no one can become my disciple without giving up everything for me. Yeah, it says everything. What is giving up? Or your Bible might say forsake. What is that? It means to take leave of or to literally say goodbye to. And that would be I know right away we think our money, (laughs) but our material goods, our dreams, our goals, our ambitions, our plans, would you be willing to say goodbye to everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's, It's having a mindset of, I own nothing, and everything that I possess, I am only a steward of for Jesus If he would ask, I would give. And sometimes we have stuff, and that would be hard to do. Verse 28 says, but don't begin until you count the cost. And it gives us a couple illustrations about building a house, and some of you may have been there. And it gives us an illustration about going to war, And if somebody has twice as many soldiers as I do, I might not want to go to war with them. Well, let me tell you about counting the cost in my world. So 
First of all, the staff was glad that I don't have a 16-foot bass boat, okay? I fish out of a kayak. And I know this is going to sound really sad and try not to cry, but there is a cost that comes with fishing. All right? And I want to tell you about that cost. Now, first of all, there's a financial cost, okay? Um, I wanted something really, really stable. So I bought a wide kayak. This is like some of you have kayaks and you just cut through the water. I have a barge, okay? Um, I don't just glide through the water. I have to push it through the water. Um, yeah, this was an expensive kayak. Here, here's something really interesting for you. Um, do you ever get water in your kayak and wish you could get it out? Um, somebody had a really clever idea. They put holes in the bottom of my kayak so the water could get out. It's really cool. Can you, can you see? I, I have holes. So what's really amazing is one, that it works, but number two, they talked me into buying a kayak that had holes in the bottom of it. So um, I, I don't know, talk about a good salesman. Um, so I have the kayak I invested in. I have fishing rods. <laughs> I have more than two. I only brought two. Um, I have tackle. Um, I have boxes of tackle at home. Just Gwen, if you could just daydream a minute. Um, you know, if they, tell me, if they tell me I can catch a fish on a different lure, I'll buy a different lure, Okay. Um, I'm all in, so I, I don't care about the expense of buying tackle. Um, I, I'm all in. I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, but there's some other expense. You know, every time we say expense, we think of money. If you want to go fishing with me, of course, you have to bring your own because there's only room for one. I usually get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I'm willing to lose a couple hours sleep. Because I want to be on the lake at about quarter after 5 or 5.30. Because the best time of day is when the sun just starts to come up. You get out on the water, cup of coffee, and just enjoy the moment. But I'm willing to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning so that I can go fishing. I'm willing to wear my life jacket. I fish alone, okay? I tell Gwen I will wear my life jacket all the time. Now, if I'm fishing with somebody else, I don't always wear my life jacket, but because I'm alone on the river or on the lake, I wear my life jacket. It gets really hot sometimes. Oh, man, take a hot day and put this on. Um, I'd love to take it off, but I pay the price because I told Gwen, I will wear my life jacket. There's not a lot of room to get up and walk around in here. Now, this is actually sold as a stand-up version kayak. And 10 years ago when I bought it, I used to do that sometimes. I fell out a couple times. <laughs> but it's just hard to get up from this sitting position and just stand up. The knees don't quite work how they used to. I have to sit here. It's terrible. I have to sit here for three or four or five hours at a time in one spot. And I got to tell you, sometimes at the end of the day when I'm finished fishing and I paddle up to shore, I can barely get out of the kayak because I'm, I'm so stiff. Um, it's difficult sometimes fishing out of a kayak because not only am I trying to fish, but I'm trying to paddle 
I have to keep myself a little bit, and then I'm trying to fish, and then, then I kind of have to paddle a little bit. You know, it's difficult fishing out of a kayak sometimes. Um, oh, man. Lord, help me. This could be really fun. <laughs> no. Um, I'm kind of limited sometimes what I can do in the kayak. Oh, hey, guys, if you're fishing bass, this black worm, that, that's a thing. Uh, if anyone's watching <laughs> online, um, the black worm is, is where it's at. I am willing to get up early. I'm willing to paddle across the lake. Wouldn't you know the favorite spot I like to fish is across the lake? Nobody fishes right by the boat launch. And I'm willing to do all of that for the thrill and the reward of catching a fish. I can fish all day and not catch anything. But if I get a fish at the end of the day, my whole day has been good. And all of the cost, all of the loss of sleep, all of the you know, inconvenience doesn't mean anything to me because I enjoy so much catching a fish because this big guy outsmarted a little fish, <laughs> all right? I'm willing to count the cost for the reward. So what is our cost that we have to count? The Bible says don't, don't start until you count the cost. And our heads right away go to money and no, this isn't this isn't a pitch for more money. And by the way, giving has been amazing this year. Thank you for your giving. Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to pay the cost of lifestyle? If Jesus calls you, and he does, calls you to be a disciple, would you be willing to pay the cost of lifestyle? Romans 12, 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, there needs to be a change that takes place in your life. Are you willing to do that? Let me ask you this. Are you willing to change your career to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, I didn't know Jesus would call us to do that. I want to tell you, I've been helping the last week or so um, a couple of times over at the Zealand bowling lanes, uh, working with a couple of guys there, um, with Kevin, with Chad, with Eric, and I'm just cleaning. Washed all the bowling balls this week. You want a good job? Come down to the bowling alley. What do we do today? Hey, wash bowling balls. Um, those guys changed their career to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as I work and watch them, I've yet to see one of them mope and complain, but they're thrilled that God has called them into a ministry where they can serve him and cheerfully gave up their career. Let me ask you, would you, as you count the cost, would you be willing to put some effort into being a disciple? 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed. 
are you willing to dig into the Word of God? Are you willing to put time and study into God's Word? And what happens when you do? God says, if you will study and dig into my Word, you would be a workman who's approved and not ashamed. Would you be willing to count the cost and study? Let me ask you this. Would you be willing to change your desires for the gospel of Jesus Christ? Colossians 3.1 says to seek the things that are above. You know what? We can get so busy seeking things below. I can try to get more stuff for my kayak. I can get stuff for other things at home. Uh, woodworking tools. Yeah, that's something I'd always like more of. Um, I can't understand. Some of you may want better golf clubs. <laughs> I'm not a golfer. Um, I don't understand that at all. What things do we pursue? There's more and more stuff. We can get so preoccupied in all of our life, just consumed with more and bigger and better and, and, and just consumed with that. But our desires need to be on things above. Let me ask you this. Would you count the cost and be willing to change your thought life? Colossians 3, 2 says to let heaven fill your thoughts. And Philippians 4, verse 8 says, whatever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are of good report, think on these things. You have control of your thought life. It's not like the enemy makes you do it. You have control of your thought life. And I was saying to Pastor Jeremy today that um, as I, I have this verse written on a card on my desk and I carry it with me sometimes, and you notice I read it, that's how well I'm doing memorizing it. I can't always get the order straight in all of them. But sometimes when something comes to mind, I'll think, whatever things are pure. Father, I want, I want to think on things that are pure. And that's not always easy. But would you be willing as a disciple to say, I want to think, think on things that are true and honest and just and pure and lovely and of good report. Would you be willing to trade your thought life to be a disciple? Would you count that cost? And then let me ask you one more thing. Oh, this one's hard. Would you be willing to give up your sin? Because to be real honest, a lot of us have things that we hang on to. And I don't know what that could be in your life. Um, it could be sins of the mind, of anger, unforgiveness. It could be a habit pornography, um, an addiction. Would you be willing to say, Jesus, I want so much to be a part of your kingdom. See, his kingdom is here and he rules and he's looking for disciples. Would you be willing to say that I want so much to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, that I would even give up my sin? Romans 6 says to be dead to sin and alive to Christ. I would exchange that for his, for his glory. Listen, so it's all about um, I'm giving up, I'm giving up. Um, oh, this is, this is hard. There's things I can't do. Um, oh, if I'm a disciple, this is really going to be difficult. Let me ask you this. What's easier to live? Or what do you think would be the greater joy? Living a conformed life to this world or living a transformed life? following Jesus. You might say, I don't know if I could give up my career. And again, I don't, I don't want to highlight somebody. 
but I see these guys who gave up their career and they're thrilled to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to put the effort in to study your Bible and to read, but do you know how much fun it is when you find a new truth? When you're reading and you're studying and you get something and you go, oh man, this is exciting. This is good. I never saw that before. Something that I can apply to my life or something that I look and I see the glory of God or the greatness of his son or, or the work of the Holy Spirit. And it's like, oh man, it was worth the study. Wouldn't it be better to trade the desires of myself for eternal things, my thought life to give it up and to have freedom and rest and peace instead of struggling with my thought life? And wouldn't it be great to give up your sin and not to worry about getting caught or having the guilt or the shame that goes with sin? Jesus is looking for disciples who will count the cost. And in the same way that I'm willing to count the cost and give up a few hours sleep and be hot and sweaty or wear my life jacket or the struggle of loading and unloading all by myself, you know what my thrill is, my reward is? I catch a fish. You know what my thrill or my reward will be when I follow Jesus when I'm willing to love him the most, when I'm willing to carry his cross, when I'm willing to count the cost and forsake all, the thrill of someday Jesus saying to me, well done, good and faithful servant. For whatever hardship I would endure, to hear Jesus say that to me, will be the greatest thrill ever. Would you count the cost of being a disciple? I thought of the song that says, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's so simple, and I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. He's looking for those who will commit to follow him and never look back. Pastor Jerry. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.